the word of our Lord from the Gospel of John. As Jesus was speaking with the Samaritan woman, his disciples came back and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this really be the Messiah? Then they went out of the city and came to him. But in the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? So Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word. We pray that you would bless it to our hearts and to our lives. We pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have for us this morning. And we pray that you would make us to be faithful and obedient. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. This text is really a scene within a story, and that scene is alluded to in the first couple of verses that we read. The scene of the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well in the town of Sakar in the area of Samaria. The story really covers the, the first majority verses of the chapter. It begins in verse 1 of chapter 4 and runs all the way through verse 42 of of uh, chapter 4. There's a lot that we know about her and there's a lot that we don't know about her, but let's recall a few things that we do know about her. First, she's a woman. Now, this may not mean much to you, but it means an awful lot in the ancient world that Jesus, a man, a, a Jewish man, would be speaking to a woman. That he would be speaking to her um, as a rabbi speaking to teach her. In the ancient world, you had to have a, a female disciple was kind of unheard of for a rabbi. Women couldn't testify in court. Women were looked down upon in the major, by the majority of people in the ancient Near Eastern world. And Jesus is speaking to her. And notice that the disciples, it specifically says, the disciples refrained from asking him, why are you speaking to this woman? But the second thing that we know about her is that she's a Samaritan woman, which is even worse. 
the Samaritans were hated by the Jews and the Jews were hated by the Samaritans. These were, these were people groups that had very little to do with one another. They looked down upon one another. They wanted nothing to do with one another. And here she is. Interestingly enough, Jesus makes it a point to pass through Samaria when most Jewish people would have gone the long way around Samaria. But he makes it a point to pass through. It seems that he has an appointment to keep. The third thing that we know about her is that she's lived and is still living a life of unfaithfulness and brokenness. Her life is a mess. Morally, relationally, religiously, she is a mess. She knows what brokenness is. And she knows what unfaithfulness is. You know, perhaps the most perplexing expectation that we have about the lost among us and around us is that we expect them to have lives that are put together. We expect them, we expect non-Christians to live as Christians. We expect the world to look like the church. And unfortunately, we're okay with the church looking like the world and we've got everything just kind of messed up and, and upside down. We're really living in, a, in a, an upside down world that is also falling apart. But we look at her life and we see, oh, what, what a mess. What great brokenness. What great unfaithfulness. But what more would we expect? Perhaps these expectations that we have are really lingering memories of the triumph of Christendom. But those days are gone. You see, we're not in Kansas anymore. Welcome to a post-Christian society. Um... I will refrain from saying I told you so, but I do remember for the last eight years having conversations with folks about post-Christian America. And eight years ago, friends and mentors and were, were confused. What are you talking about? We're not post-Christian. Yeah, we're kind of you know losing our way, but we're not post-Christian. Well... It seems that we definitely are now. We are living in a post-Christian society. I, I use the word society instead of culture because typically I would speak to culture, but society speaks to really relationships and how we live in communities. We are surrounded by unfaithfulness and we are in fact we as a society in large part praise unfaithfulness we are glad about it we think it is liberty to be unfaithful to be untied down to be able to do what we want regardless of who's affected as long as we're not directly 
affecting someone, then we can pass it off as it's just me being me and no one's harmed. We are surrounded not just by unfaithfulness, but we are surrounded by deep and abiding brokenness. Lives spinning out of control. Lives that are numbed from pain and disappointment. Your question, how many of these people do we know? How many of these people do we meet weekly? Some of us even daily. Now, if we don't know them or meet them, shame on us as the church. Because these are the people that need the hope of the gospel. After all, that's what good news is about. Good news means nothing when everything's already good. Good news, good news means everything when everything is bad. If we do know them and do meet them, how do we treat them? Do we treat them with kindness and hospitality? You know, to be kind is to give dignity to others. To give dignity to them through our words. But kindness goes beyond just mere words. Kindness is about giving dignity through our demeanor. And sometimes even by refraining from words. We are kind by listening. If you scoot back in John chapter 4 to Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well, Jesus has an awful lot of speaking to do. He does offer quite a number of words, but he also has quite a bit of listening to do. He, he enters into conversation with the lady. He does not talk at her or even to her. He talks with her. To be hospitable is to make room for others. To make room for them in our homes. To make room for them in our lives. To make room for them in our time. People who are the most broken what they need more than to see someone who is not broken is they need someone who perhaps is not broken to spend time with them to listen to share to to be vulnerable to open up life People who are unfaithful. They don't need to just see someone who is faithful. They need someone to be faithful to them. It's not good enough to just 
see others doing it right and think, oh, okay, I ought to emulate that. Sometimes those who are, quote, doing it right need to open up their lives and open up their homes and open up their time and open up their selves to those who are hurting, those who are broken, those who are unfaithful. We're not in Kansas anymore. We are surrounded by things that are quite new to many of us. We are surrounded by people who look different, who act different, behave different, who have different priorities, who have different ways of spending their time and their money, who think that us getting together on a Sunday morning is ridiculous. Welcome to a post-Christian society. Let's consider a few details about the story. A few things that I I just want to kind of bring to light. One is directly spoken in the, the story. Another is assumed, but we might often forget it. And then the other is perhaps takes a a little bit of prying into the story, a little bit of imaginative thinking about it. First, the direct thing. The first detail that I want to highlight this morning is that the harvest is waiting. Jesus specifically tells his disciples, look, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, hey, a few more months and then it'll be time for harvest. But I'm telling you, lift up your eyes, look now, because the harvest is already ready. It is waiting. It's there and it's waiting for us. The time for harvest is not four months from now. The time for harvest is not four weeks from now. The time for harvest is now. The second detail I'd like to highlight this morning is that Jesus is already at work. He's at work first. He's there before the disciples. In fact, they stumble in upon his conversation. The lady's still there when they get back. They've returned from town and they're thinking, wait a minute, what in the world is Jesus doing here? Who's this lady? What's he doing talking to her? In fact, when she leaves to go back into the town to go tell the townspeople, I think I might have just found the Messiah, the disciples, they're, they're, they're puzzled and they're thinking, all right, so we went and got food. Jesus, come on, have a bite to eat. And he then gives them that uh, um, kind of vague and, and cloaked statement I have food to eat of which you do not know. Jesus is always kind of tantalizing like that. Sometimes I wonder, did Jesus internally kind of get a kick out of being vague with his disciples and picking at them? I think sometimes he feels that way about me. He gets amused at uh, 
kind of skirting around a little bit. I have food to eat of which you do not know. I got a, I got a secret stash that I hadn't told you about. Wait a minute, did somebody bring him food? How do we miss this? He tells them that his food is to do the will of his father, to complete the father's work. Jesus is at work. He's there first. He's there and he's waiting for us. The disciples stumble in upon Jesus already at work. And you and I, in our lives, stumble in upon Jesus already being at work. Dr. Kinlaw calls it the law of the second witness. Anytime you open up your life to someone else, know that you're not the first person to open your life to them. Probably there have been others before you, family members, friends, co-workers maybe, But without a doubt, God's Spirit has already been opening up the life of God to them. We're never the first witness. We never arrive on the scene first. Jesus is always there. Jesus is always working. He's there and He's waiting for us just as He was there and was waiting for His disciples. The third detail I'd like to shed some light on this morning is that the Samaritan woman is searching, whether she knows it or not. Wait a minute, Pastor, that's not necessarily in the text. No, it's not. But it's, it's certainly implied by the text. As Jesus enters into conversation with her, as He's posing questions and bringing up subjects and getting her mind thinking, you begin to realize that this woman certainly is searching. In fact, the fact that she runs back to the town and says, I think I found the Messiah, tells you that she, whether she knew it or not, was searching. She's waiting in her life, and while she's waiting, she's she's passing time with all manner of other things. Unfaithfulness and brokenness, relationship after relationship. This woman is searching. She's searching because she's hurting. She's searching because she's hungry. In fact, it's, it's when Jesus says... If you knew who was speaking to you, you would have asked and I would have given you living water. And she immediately says, wait a minute. Living water? You see, the heart's deepest longing is for God. It's only maker and it's true Lord. That is the heart's deepest longing and and its most profound longing. Unfaithful, our hearts long to be faithful. Broken, our hearts long to be restored.
St. Augustine said at the beginning of his confessions, O God, thou hast made us for thyself. So our hearts remain restless till they rest in thee. We were made for another. We were made to know and to love God. And apart from knowing Him and apart from loving Him, we will be incomplete all of our days. We will be searching, but we will be searching in all of the wrong places. We will be hungering, but we will be consuming things that cannot keep us full. We will be hurting and breaking, but all we will be able to do is just cover up the pain and cover up that which ails us. Because the Samaritan woman is like us. And the Samaritan woman is like our neighbors. The Samaritan woman is like our co-workers. The Samaritan woman is like those others. Unfaithful. Broken. Looking for a bit of kindness. Looking for a bit of hospitality. And so what are we to do? Well, as Jesus' disciples, we ought to hear the words of Jesus to the disciples and ought to do accordingly. We need to lift up our eyes unto the fields, for they are ready and waiting. If we would but look around us, we'll find people who need Jesus everywhere. And it might be quite intimidating for us. David was mentioning this earlier during announcements. It might be kind of awkward and difficult to bring up that subject of, hey, do you guys go to church anywhere? But believe it or not, sometimes people are glad when that subject gets brought up. Not everyone, but some. Some folks actually would like to feel wanted somewhere. We need to lift up our eyes because all around us, the harvest is waiting. I'm not excited about this post-Christian society. I, I have I've heard several say perhaps this is a good thing for the church. Now we plainly see those who are broken, those who are hurting, those who are in need. But we as the church need to lift up our eyes 
We need to take note. We need to hunger for the food of eternity. Longing to get our hands dirty. Longing to join in to the labor of the Lord of the harvest. Jesus said that was the food, that work, that that laboring, that, that working was what was food for His soul. We need to begin hungering for that food. I don't know about you, but I've been kind of excited um, on a cross between intimidated and concerned, but also excited about this Check Us Out Sunday coming up next week. I've been uh, uh, excited because several of the folks that I've invited to come along have have already said they're going to be here. So you'd better be here. Because I've already told them you guys will all be here. If you haven't done so yet, please, like last week, take your communication card. They're a little bit different this week, a little bit different last week as well, the same, the same as they were last week. On the back, there's a place for you to write, uh, to, to write three names, three family names, three people's names. To check us out on the 16th, I'm inviting, and I want to encourage you to fill up those three lines. Fill up those three lines with the names of people that you're inviting. Now, many of you already made use of this last week, and I want you to know that multiple times this week, I prayed for those people by name. And just so you know, I was praying, first of all, that God's Spirit would be working in their lives and would begin making them open to the possibility of coming to faith on the 16th. The second thing I was then doing was I was taking note of whose name was on the front, and I was praying specifically for you to have the courage to to be looking for an open window, an open opportunity, an open door, and for you to be faithful in inviting those people that you said you were inviting. And I was praying also that these people would actually show up, that they would come. Now think about this. If you put three names like I've done here, family names, if you put three on there and one of them shows up, have you failed? No. That's a person or a family that doesn't go to church somewhere who is willing to come to your church because you invited them. You all know people that I don't know that I've never met. And many of them, if not most of them, don't go to church. Jesus tells us, look up. Lift up your eyes and look at the fields around you. They are white for harvest. All it takes is a willingness to see and a willingness to then act. 
and eternal things might begin to happen. But be encouraged because Jesus is already there first. He's already at work, but he tells you and he tells me, just like he told his disciples, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. And while you're at it, get your work gloves because we need you. We often don't see the harvest because we don't expect it. It's not a, a matter of name it, claim it. You know, if, we, if we'll trust God, then He has to do it. It's not an issue of that. It's we think, Lord, who am I and what can I do? It's all I can do to get there myself on Sunday mornings. I'm tired. I'm busy. But Jesus is able to do beyond what we can imagine if we will but trust Him. And if we will but open up our eyes to others and open up our lives to others. Do we hunger for it? Do we miss the harvest because we simply... Don't expect it. And do we not expect it because we simply are too busy to stop? Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would impress upon us